Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. Before I introduce my guest, I wanted to let you know that I have a book that is not just newish, it's actually brand new. It's a novel called Lump, and it's published by the Rare Machines imprint at Dundurn Press. It's my third novel. I've read it, and it's good. If you'd rather not take my word for it, the Toronto Star has called Lump one of the must-read, hands-down best books of 2023 so far. You can find out more about Lump at nathanwhitlock.ca. My guest on this episode is Jamie Tennant. Jamie's debut novel, The Captain of Canoel Hill, was published by Palimpsest Press in 2016. His second novel, River Diverted, also published by Palimpsest Press, was published in the fall of 2022. Jamie also hosts the weekly books and literature program Get Lit on CFMU, where he is the program director. Author Emily Sasso said about River Diverted, Nobody writes a charming monster quite like Jamie does. Highly recommended if you're ever wondering what it would be like to chuck your North American life and move to Japan. Jamie and I talk about his early days as a theater kid and the singer in a band, about his relatively late start as a novelist, and about the kinds of lessons he has learned from interviewing authors every week on his show, which is honestly something I can very much relate to. When I started this podcast, one of my thoughts was I wanted to get as many kinds of writers and as as like diverse in terms of categories, in terms of parts of the country, in terms of approaches as I could. And so that's why I want to bring you on, because I feel like a Hamilton based middle aged white bald writer who does a uh, weekly author interview show. I really want to get out of my and someone who has like a, a history in music and playing in bands. I really want to get out of my safe zone and out of my circle with this. So thank you for doing it, Jamie. I really appreciate you coming so all of this way. You wanted to interview yourself, but knew you could right. is what yeah. you're telling me. Yeah, exactly. Question I wanted to start with was you have two novels published and you're working on a, a couple more. Correct. But I really want to know if you have any plans for Stumbling, which is your great unpublished novel. Have you looked at it lately? Have you been like, you know, pulling parts out of it? Have you been uh, or is you've, it is it like, let's forget and never talk about that again? You, kind you've of kind of Brian Linehan me here because I can't figure out how like when I've mentioned that novel or what happened. But obviously, at some point I did. Um I did not expect the question. Well, so Stumbling was a book that I wrote. Uh, it was, I call it the first novel I wrote as a grown up, because mm -hmm. when I first started writing novel length things, I was a kid, li literally like 11. Um, so, of course, those are obviously unpublishable. They're terrible, but uh, they were, you know, what made me fall in love with writing. So they obviously have some importance. But as for Stumbling, uh, that I wrote, I hadn't written during college. Cause I'm like, I'm always writing essays. I don't want to write anything. Right. And then I, uh, went on tour with King Apparatus, the ska band. Oh yeah. I yeah. Them. I was their merch guy and roadie. And it was, we drove 
across the country in one fell swoop to uh, Fresno. And then they rehearsed for 10 days. And then we drove up to Vancouver and toured across back to Hamilton. So that was my big trip. And along the way, I, uh, I picked up um, Kicking Tomorrow by uh, Daniel Richler. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. And Richler's uh, book at the time spoke to me. Does it hold up? I have no idea. But and then I was sitting in the back of their van, sort of pre laptop days. So I picked up a piece of paper and a pen and started writing and basically wrote this book over the five. Maybe it took six weeks because I think I probably had to fake an ending because obviously there was no, you know, tidy wrap up to my life but it was basically a, a very heavily changed autobiographical story uh, me on the tour flashing back to a relationship and I you know I picked it up about for the first time about a decade ago because this would have been written in mid 90s and it was I was shocked at how all right it was do you know what I mean I would yeah. say yeah, that's a good turn of phrase. And that's a good line. And, you know, the writing here is reasonably solid. It needs some brushing up, but it's pretty good. What I think stops me from trying to publish it is, A, I know very much that I, I don't need my Henry Rollins listening 1990s self to be really, uh, the voice needs to change a bit. And uh, although it's, you know, it's not, it's misogyny and racism free. It's not like that's a problem, but it is very whiny white guy, you know, which <laughs> yeah. not whiny about just whiny in that the characters uh, it's, it's a, it's a recession at the time and there's no money and, and he's having, you know, he's unlucky in love. So these are things that I'm just not sure are going to fly as much with publishers. Um, not that there's anything wrong with it. I just feel like maybe the the, 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 the timbre of the times is not exactly, people aren't clambering for this kind of content. Right. But I don't know, you know, like I'd have to go through it again and see. I feel like um, just either a slightly knowing narrative shift or perhaps a character to be that knowing narrative shift might be all it takes to make it publishable. Well, based on the idea that you wrote this in your 20s, kind of while you were on tour and 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 invoking Kicking Tomorrow, which, you know, going back to my initial thought of like, this is really getting out of my safe zone like this. That was a book <laughs> I picked up in high school and read. And I was like, wow, you know, you can do this. I still remember the main character's name was Kenny Lingus, which <laughs> I read the first time and I was like, what? Well, that's a weird name. And then, you know, maybe like two years later, it's like, oh, that's yeah. I get it now. Got it. But I imagine that stumbling. And I love the idea that you went back and found some great stuff in it. But I imagine a lot of the tone and a lot of the approach was of sort of like, man, you don't get it, man. Like society <laughs> doesn't get it, man. They don't get me. And they don't. And just a lot of like man lit, like not in the gender sense, but just in that that tone of man. Yeah, it's a little bit less than you'd think. I, even I was surprised that it was less of that than I thought, because the focus is very much it's very much a book about about loneliness. Mm -hmm. So that becomes more of a thing. Um, 
And, you know, thankfully in the book and in real life, when I went through those things, I wasn't, I wasn't little incel boy going, women stink because <laughs> they don't like me. It was more like, I must be the worst because women don't like me. Like I, I very, right. it was very self-directed. So, I mean, that luckily, if there was even a, a whiff of that in the book, I'd be like, no, no, we're not going to. We're not going to pursue that. Right, uh, right. But there is a little bit of that, man, you don't get me. Cause at the time I was actually, it's in the book. Uh, I had been writing a weekly column for the spectator called X generation, uh, which was supposed to be, you know, I was the voice of the 20 something kind of thing. And, uh, you know, stole the title off Copeland, obviously just put the X at the, at the other side of the cent of the statement. And uh, it was, while I was, I think we had stopped in Baker, California, and I got a message that my editor had called, and I called, and they were like, yeah, we're going to stop running this column now. And I was like, oh, oh no. Yeah, well, or th that, or they were going to do it bi-weekly, which was kind of like, obviously, that meant they were phasing me out kind of thing. Right. So, yeah. So, because I wrote that column, there was a lot of, it wasn't so much like, man, they don't get me, as it was, man, they don't get us oh this yeah generation kind of thing <laughs> if you can kind of cast back to that time in your life and your headspace then what was what was writing for you then like you said you've been mm -hmm. writing kind of unpublished and unpublishable novels since you were 11 but was writing a thing to do or was it a thing to be a part of were you aware that there was this thing called a writing career was being a writer a thing or was it just, I need to do this and who knows why? Oh gosh, it's a big question. Um, I'm not sure how it started, but I can't remember the impetus when I was young, but I was very young when I started writing, you know, in finger quotes, long form. I mean, these were, like, the first thing I wrote was five pages, top to bottom, no margin, single spaced on a typewriter. So whatever that is, probably a couple thousand words but I was like 10 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. I think I just, in, I fell in love with telling stories. I fell in love with telling stories and I was so into, as all of us are, I guess, films and, 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 and television and things, but you know, the fact that I, and books, of course, but the fact that I, I learned I could do it myself, you know, I could, I could mm. sit down and I could create a world. Uh, so I would, I think that was a big, big part of it. Another part was probably <laughs> wish fulfillment, fantasy realizing, because I would, you know, the character would be first person and the character would always ostensibly be me. Right. Um, and cool stuff would happen, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be a hero or whatever. Um, put my friends in it, had a lot of fun, much like Andrew Sullivan when he was talking about writing Jurassic Park fan fiction and killing off all his friends. I had my first <laughs> long, long thing. The first thing I would say is novel length was a book called Axe and it was about an axe murderer. And all of my friends met Gruesome Fates, which uh, they appreciated greatly. It was entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that was fun too. Then I got an idea when I was, so this was like grade six, seven, eight, nine. And then around grade 11, I got an idea. It was very, I was very into Stephen King and it was, I kind of, made like a, a a Stephen King stand-in to be part of the book that I was writing. And then the narrator, who of course, again, is mostly me. And I wrote that. And again, it was the same thing, just storytelling. I was so interested in it. What happened during university, I think, uh, 
is I started to really become cognizant, although I always was, I started to be cognizant in a, in a real way, in a this could be me kind of way, of all the other sorts of writing that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, magazine writing, uh, you know, journalism, especially music journalism, because of course I was a big music fan. I was in a band, I hung out with guys in bands. And I started writing for the silhouette at McMaster, doing music reviews, very, you know, modest thing, not not paid except for here's a CD. Right. Um, and by the time we got to stumbling, though, I had kind of, I had pulled back so hard from writing, from telling stories, which I had loved so much. And I think it was just a long period of, you know how it is sometimes you're just kind of like, uh, I don't know if I got what it takes. There's a bit of, there's a bit of a, of a, of uncertainty about it. And I think that it was safer for me to put my writing skills into like reviewing records and later on the column, which was professional writing, which I can't, I can't complain. That was great, but it was always the excuse to not, go back and try to write another story. You know, well, I'm so busy writing that I just don't want to write anything else, which was sometimes true, yeah, but not always true. Was there a sense too where you were coming up against, you know, maybe books and readers or writers you hadn't been exposed to before? Because I feel like a lot of people, Stephen King is their sort of entry point because his style is so deceptively conversational and yeah. and and mm-hmm. easy to penetrate and you start feeling like i could do that you just sort of make every fourth paragraph italics and you kind of come up <laughs> with a monster and you write about people in your town and it's that's easy it's such an easy formula and i can do it mm-hmm. but then you start coming up against people that are that don't have a, a, a such an easy style to emulate or you know are not deceptively simple. Was there a sense of intimidation as well of like, I can't match up to that. That's. I gotta be honest. No, not that I thought I was great. I just realized that. uh, And I still believe this is true. There is room for so many different kinds of voices in fiction. And if your thing is Tolstoy, then knock yourself out with the Tolstoy. Um, (laughs) If your thing is Robertson Davies, then go ahead and read the, manticore or something like that which i'm about to actually that's why that came up Uh, there's so many different voices and it's funny because today to this day i'll pick up a book and i'll read the first a couple pages and i'll say i could write this not always 80 percent of the time but but i i wouldn't want to because it would take Mm. so much effort to emulate the style and i'm like what this is not how i could i couldn't tell the story i could write a page and you might think it's this author but i couldn't write page two you know it just it's it's just impossible to me um so i don't think it was intimidation i think it was more intimidation and this still counts today as well maybe worse intimidated by the fact that there's it's so hard to get published and it's so hard to get an agent and it's so hard to send a story away and have it get published. I think I was intimidated, not so much by other authors because I knew there was room for the type of voice I was doing, but was there room at all for anybody anymore? I really didn't know. And, um, you know, when I was young, I was probably in my early twenties. I met Paul Quarrington and uh, we became, uh, we became, I won't say friends, but acquaintances. And I remember the first thing I asked him was, hey, Paul, you know, and he had just come off the Governor General Award for whale music. And I met him at I was we had set up what was basically the launch party for whale music, the film 
with Maury Chaikin when it came out, mm-hmm. my company that I was with, we were working on that. And so I, I we knew he was on the guest list and I kind of ambushed him when he came in. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said, uh, and I had just written Stumbling and I was like, well, hey, you know, how do you get an agent? And he gave me some very good advice and then offered to read it, uh, which was very, very, very kind of him. And I think that was when finally that intimidation thought a bit he but mostly because he just said look this is good enough to get published and you won't know if you don't try that was right. simple 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 advice but until then it was like oh i don't know i don't know i don't know yeah and he seems like someone like if you were having that sense of being intimidated by the industry and trying to get over that wall that impenetrable wall he would be like the perfect guide because yeah. he's, he was just so unpretentious about that kind of stuff. Oh, so, God, yeah. Almost to a fault where he was just like, yeah, just throw it out there. Like, get it out there. It's mm-hmm. who, care, who cares what happens after that? That seems like the perfect person to hit. Yeah, he was he was one of I mean, I, I mean, we all do. I miss him terribly. He was a he was a great guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't we talked about writing less than you'd think. <laughs> but right. it was early that that early time when we met based around the manuscript of stumbling he was just wonderful yeah, yeah. and yeah and so unpretentious you're right he was just like and even his writing was unpretentious and there's yeah. an author who you read it and it's again it's kind of got that deceptively simple style and then you get to the end of the book and you're like yeah no i couldn't have written that right <laughs> <laughs> couldn't have done it no i remember being on a on a panel with him uh, an author panel at I think at the, you know, author festival in Toronto, what was then the IFOA and every question that went to him, you know, the, the moderator was trying their best to do these sort of big worldview, deep questions. And they would throw to him like, what was your approach? What was your vision? How do you do this? And he would just be leaning back going, I don't know. I just did it. I don't know. I wrote the book. What do you, did you like it? Or did you not like it? I don't care. And you could feel the moderator sweating. And even I was sweating a little bit going like, dude, just chat, like take, take the opportunity. Fake it, but man. he was just not, in, not into it. Just like the whiff of pretension. He'd be like, no, I just wrote it. Like, I don't care. Like I'll write another one. If you didn't like it, I'll write it. If that didn't work, I'll do another one. So yeah, almost to a fault. He, he had no, no sense of pretension about no. about writing. You mentioned that you were, you know, deep in the music scene. You were in a band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think five becomes four. Is that That's the name correct. of the band? Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it with the lowercase letters. I know that <laughs> that was it essential. F I V E becomes F O U R, all lowercase because yes. it was the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if you know this or if your lawyer is working on this. There is an Italian band. That was also named Five Becomes Four. Since I don't believe that, they're yeah. I don't believe they're active anymore. Uh, did you shut them down? Did you send a letter to? Oh, uh, at the their time town there in was Italy? no internet, so we wouldn't have known about them. Okay. Yeah. But you were doing music. Uh, I believe you were also involved with theater. You were doing yeah. theater studies. But it feels like a shift to go from something where you are, especially because you were singing. Correct. You were, you know. A, a, yeah, I was the singer. I did music theater, and I was a singer in the band. Yeah, that's that requires a real sense of performance mm-hmm. and of being able to kind of like feed off crowds and feed off people and feed off situations and make things work. Whereas writing is so n- the opposite <laughs> skill set <laughs> of like 
how was that shift? Like, were there moments when you were starting to write where you're like, can I do this in public? Can't I do this in a more performative way? Does it have to be sitting in a room by myself? You know, I don't know. I, um, I got into writing young and it was probably around that same age I got into doing theater. I learned that I could sing almost by accident. I was talking about this just the other day with some friends that I literally, there was a theater, children's theater company in town and I had done like spotlights for one of their shows because I knew some people in the play. And then I went on their cast party, which was like a hike because it's you know children's theater. And I was just goofing around and singing and being just me. And I said, I think I'm going to audition for your next play. And they went, no, you just did today. Hanging out. You're good. You're in. Oh, wow. and which was, which was great. Right? Like talk about being good for the, for the self-esteem. But I, so I got into them at the same time. And for the longest time I did both and they are very different, but it's, you know, you, you talked about intimidation. I think I was far more intimidated by, you know, the idea of like trying to make it quote unquote in a band or trying to, especially the theater thing. I, I was a pretty solid actor, but I was not particularly of the young, handsome uh, ilk that would get easy roles. You know, I would have really had to struggle. And I thought, do I want to do that? Do I want to go to audition after audition and just get pummeled until finally I find some character role uh, that could, could be great, but yeah, also yeah. really, it just seemed of all these things were always part-time fun, right? You know? Mm -hmm. uh, so if I was going to pursue one more seriously than the other, now let it be known, I didn't. I didn't, I mean, I didn't begin uh, the books that would become Captain and, and River until my, was it late mid thirties? So I did take a good long time of kind of doing nothing, if, if except you know having fun and toying. After the band ended, I had a little acoustic duo. Um, I was almost for a minute in a band with Kevin Wolf, who I think you mm -hmm. might know from Minimum, yep. uh, <laughs> almost not quite. And I did some theater. I did. Uh, I did the full Monty with director Lauren Lieberman at the West Side Theater there on King Street. And that was probably 20, no, 2008, 2007. Okay. And around there, 2008, maybe even 2009. I've forgotten. But so I, I always kept a toe in it, you know, with the writing thing. It just, I got, it fed a different part of me, but it still fed, you know, a, a different section of the same part of me which is the, the artistic desire the desire to create and as for the performative thing i do miss that sometimes but you do get that with books if you if you so choose right like mm -hmm. um we all do our launches we all well you didn't do a reading but you had a, a fun different way of of approaching a launch that was still you know there was still a performance there uh, also you do drum still so there is some right. performance <laughs> in your life whereas me i i don't really have much right now but i'll i'll do any reading you want me to i, I don't know, stand <laughs> at the corner king and james <laughs> and just read like one of those uh you know prophet fellas uh who were reading from the bible i would do that i don't care that's it's it's super fun uh yeah. so yeah i really enjoy that when i get to do that for writing I enjoy it. But even the radio is, although I'm not performing in front of a live audience and I'm not performing quote unquote per se, 
that does feed some of the uh, the desire to be doing something in a more performative public manner. You mentioned the radio show, and I want to talk to you about it in a second, but I want to talk about the two novels. Um, the Captain of Canoel Hill. Am I pronouncing that? Canoel? Is That's that right, that? yeah. Captain of Canoel Hill, that was 2016, and River Diverted, which was last year. That's right. Both of those, I believe, came from a sort of, again, unpublished mega novel that was failed, in some stage. half-written unpublished mega okay. novel, yes. They were pulled, kind of, you know, recycled from elements were recycled from that. That's right. When the first book came out, when Captain of Canoel Hill came out, again, you were, you were yeah, you were in your 30s. Mm-hmm. You weren't a sort of young buck, 19, 20, yeah, I was in my 40s, actually. Oh, you yeah. were in your 40s. Sorry, yeah, you're yeah. right. What was the sense of that? Was this sense of like, you know, this is going to send me off into a whole other world? Or was it, no, I understand what this is now at this point in my life. And yeah. it's it's in a sense of accomplishment, a, a, an artistic accomplishment, as opposed to like, all right, here we go. <laughs> Phone, no. Phone's going to start ringing. It was very much the, the 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 fulfillment of a childhood dream and the sense of artistic accomplishment. I I knew very much what I was getting into, and I knew that, uh, um, you know, I'm not the type of writer at this point who writes award winning novels. I uh, I don't I tend to not write about important things. Right. I tend to have a very conversational style, which is often uh, mistaken for simple and not as poetic, which I don't agree with. And I know many other writers also don't agree with. Like, I, I don't think your novel's super poetic, but I think it's brilliantly written. I think you did, a, it's fantastic. Uh, and that's my favorite stuff. Uh, is you know you, well, you use the, the word with Stephen King and I'm not I'm not including him but when it when it seems simple but for a few pages in you go oh no no they're doing something here um, I think I count in the, in that area so yeah I I I've lost my train of thought but I knew that I, was <laughs> going, I knew that this was just like I, I'd always wanted to be published I was finally published I would sell as many as I can I'm not going to win awards and become a big bestseller because you know that's I also don't buy lottery tickets. Like it's just, right. it just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And uh, could it happen someday? Yeah, I could also win the lottery someday. It's just highly, highly unlikely. And that's not a slag on my work. It's just because there are a whole hell of a lot of us out there mm-hmm. all struggling to get our voices out there and to do the best work that we can. And I mean, I can sit in the room and point to all the better writers than me. And that's not, again, not saying I'm bad. It's just saying, look at all these people doing their thing. It's so cool and it's so inspiring. But it also means that it's, it's not super likely. I'd have to hit on some weird zeitgeist point. Like I'd have to just do the right thing at the right time. Um, I never had any illusions that this was the beginning of something. But at the same time, it has been the beginning of something. I've made a lot of new friends. I've made a little tiny smidgen of money. Like, I mean, real smidgen, as as you are probably aware, it's only a smidgen that you can hope for. Right. I've done this radio show, which I never thought I would do. Like, it really did start uh, this whole other path, this whole other direction in in parts of my life. Obviously, I still have the family. I still have the day job. A lot of my life didn't change, but a lot of it did. And, and that's been pretty wild. It's actually, uh, you know, I will commend you. You had... At these pivotal moments, you had a really mature uh, and wise approach to this to this world of of writing. Where in your twenties, you were like, you know, th- there's room for other kind of writers, and and I don't need to be 
aiming to be this, the next, you know, big name writer. Mm-hmm. And again, when your first book came out, you were like, I know I'm not going to be on the Giller shortlist or I'm mm-hmm. not going to be, I just need to do what I need to do, which frankly, a lot of writers, you know, have to learn through hard experience. Um, I always call it sort of grasping for the grown up table. Like they want to be, they want to be called up to the grown up table and sit with the grown ups. Sure. And, and I don't, you know, I have those feelings too. I mean, I'm not blaming anybody else. I have those like, yeah, I could be in, but would sit there with the grown ups. What's, was the difference between right, publishing that first book mm-hmm. and then publishing the new one, publishing River Diverted? Was there that same sense of like, that same sense of accomplishment or was it more of a sense of I'm, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still doing it. I'm building on something. I think it might have been a little bit of both. Um, I th- it, probably more the, the first, probably more that sense of accomplishment, because here I was with an untold story, an unfinished story that I wanted to finish and I wanted to perfect and I wanted to put out in the world. Um, Captain was special because it was my first book and it takes place in my dad's home country. But River was much closer to me because it, all of the stuff about Japan was stuff that I've always wanted to share since I was in Japan in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that uh, it was very similar to the first book in terms of here's a thing I care about a lot and I've worked hard on it, cared about it maybe for slightly different reasons, and I get to bring it to fruition. So it was probably very much the same as the first book. But there's always an element of, okay, this is no longer a fluke. This is obviously... It might be an extremely non-lucrative career, but the hey, I'm I've got a bit of a career that has yeah. begun. I've got two books out there. This isn't uh, this isn't just me. You know, I'm not going to be the one book, and then all my friends for 20 years are going to go. When are you going to publish another book? <laughs> I take it very seriously as a career in a way. I, I do think you know I've got to keep writing, and to the best of my ability, because it's thought up to me, I've got to keep publishing, just because I feel like the door is open. And uh, I want to do as much as I can, as long as that door is open, because I've got, you know, there's always at least one story that I want to tell. And usually near the end of telling that one, another one pops up, you know, and and that's uh, that's a very unique privilege for an artist to to be able to do that. And um, I have people who support me and believe in my work. And that's that's always amazing, too. Right. So. And it's worth pointing out that Daniel Richler only published one novel to date. Like we, sure. we both, uh, we have both yeah. ex- exceeded that one, the, the guy that we kind of got in on it for. Has, you worked in, you know, you've, you've worked in, you've had helped many jobs. You've worked in PR. You, again, you were on, a, you were literally working a merch table for a band. Yeah. Has that informed how you approach your writing career as well? And what you see in terms of what you need to do as a writer um or do you keep that part those parts of you not in terms of you how you write mm-hmm. but in terms of like how you get your books into people's hands because you know it's a big part of this this podcast is that idea of there was once this model or this ideal of the writer who comes gives you their book and then disappears right for the next 3 or 4 years until they come back with a new one and I think a lot of writers now sort of realize like I, you can't really fully disappear as much as you would love to. Yeah. Um, without a Nobel prize, you know, behind your back or a Giller <laughs> win behind your back, you can't really uh, just sort of let everything go cold. 
Well, I'd say that it does and it doesn't because when I did uh, publicity, when I was in a band, so on and so forth, again, all pre-internet, right? Okay. So, I mean, that really changes things. Um, You're not out leafleting poles no. or something, you know, <laughs> exactly. hydro poles for your, exactly. for your novel. I'm not faxing people what I'm up to. Uh, but uh, it is true that there, I mean, you can't just let it go. Um, I think this show is one way that I've I've done that. Um, that's not why I started it. I started it because when I was writing, I thought, oh, these people, they're going to think, who's this schmuck who came out of nowhere in his mid-40s and wanted to be a writer? And instead, I got nothing but wonderful support from every person I turned to, you know? Mm -hmm. I remember Gary Barman showed up at my captain launch and i'm like i met you once dude why are you here like that, that was in my head i didn't say that i just was very yeah. thankful i'm very grateful right and i realized that uh, it is a very supportive community so i wanted to give back and that was how i thought i could get back but the side benefit has been that uh i'm out there every week doing a thing um i'm i know for a fact just from looking at sales and talking to people that a lot of other authors who wouldn't have known who i was bought my book you know, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. Very, 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 very cool. I don't think the book is selling particularly better, though I could be wrong about that. I haven't seen the sales figures, but nevertheless, it's getting into different hands, which I think is pretty cool. Um, that, that, uh, it's on my mind, but I don't do it in any way similarly than I would have done prior. So it's hard, like the, the concept is, is, is there and I understand it largely because of the work that I did, but I certainly am not doing the same things to right. try to keep it right. out there. But it's tricky with writing too, right? Like I suppose if you write for magazines a lot, which I do a little bit for still write music, or if you uh, publish short stories, and, but I mean, it's hard once your book's a year or two on the shelves, it's pretty hard to find a reading that really wants you to come around or find a festival that wants you to be a part of it uh, like that's pretty difficult um because there's always you know oh it's fall here's 200 new authors new right. books at least coming your yeah. way it's uh, it's a bit of a challenge and did having the radio show because you started it right after the the first book came out right did having it and be you know doing it for that long and being uh, that established with it and speaking to the main writers, did that also change your level of confidence when the second book came out in the sense of like, I'm, I'm part of this thing now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not just this guy who's, you know, uh, doing this ridiculous thing in my mid forties that yeah. putting a book out, did it give you a sense of like, no, I'm, I'm actually a part of this, whatever this is. Yeah. You know, I think, I think so. I think that, any uh, um, lingering imposter syndrome that was there yeah. was kind of erased by it because I, when I talk to authors, even you know bigger authors, uh, quote unquote best-selling authors, we all sound like we're doing the same kind of thing. And so far in my experience, everyone has been very down to earth and very you know same struggles, same challenges, um, and, and that's kind of encouraging you know and you do feel a bigger part of the community and you realize that you're part of this continuum that so many people are part of and yeah definitely it's, it's definitely made me feel like that uh it hasn't obviously it hasn't changed how i think about my work because why would it mm -hmm. but it's it's made me realize i'm not that different from all these other people and uh, and we're all doing the same thing artistically you say it hasn't hasn't changed your actual work and that makes sense but are there 
are there any sort of like little bits of wisdom or nuggets that you've pulled from the interviews where you're you're really just interviewing them, but your brain goes, oh, that's interesting. I should try that. I should try whatever it is, putting a draft away for six months or whatever the you know process Always. thing that they gave you. Yeah, kind of nonstop. So after a while, you realize you can't try it all. So I couldn't even give you an example, to be honest. I think the best bit of writing advice um, that I got, and I've, it's been said, I'm sure, for decades and decades and decades and decades and decades, but I just never had anyone in a room say it to me in the audience. And that's our mutual friend, Andrew Sullivan, when he said, you know, approach writing like a practice. Maybe I just didn't understand what that meant. But now mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, with, with my partner doing yoga, I understand <laughs> what a practice means, you know, what the word really means now. And I'd never made myself think of it that way. And it makes all of the difference to me. Mm -hmm. um, oh, there's this thing I got to do. Is this book I got to write? No, no, no. You just need to sit down and do your daily practice. And, right. and the book will come of that. It really right. changed, changing the way I think about it. Because my biggest challenge, and I'm sure this is most people's biggest challenge, is finding the time, right? I, uh, I have sleep, uh, chronic sleep problems, so I can't really wake up early in the morning. Um, and frankly, after dinner, my brain is just a wet sponge of molasses. Like I got nothing. I could, mm. I really have trouble writing in the evening. The later it gets, the worse it is. I have a day, I have a day job. Mm -hmm. where, where does that leave me? It leaves me skipping lunch, finishing at four and trying to write between four and five 30 every day. I mean, it's not a lot of time, but then again, I've got two books out of that schedule so far. Right. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the advice and as for the stuff from the show, almost too much for me to remember. Cause I'm like 353 shows deep now. And right. Great that's I have to go back and listen to my own shows and <laughs> listen to the authors and go, right. Hey, you said that I should do that. Yeah, but yeah. it's interesting. You, you do learn that different things work for different people and different things don't work for different people. You read about authors trying something and how spectacularly their, their attempts fail, um, it's really fascinating to uh, learn how how different people approach it, you know. And without throwing anybody under the bus, have you ever interviewed somebody where you you start staring at them, going like, "Have you read your own book? Like, are you aware of what you do? Like, that doesn't sound at all like what you the book I read. Like, you you don't seem to have any relationship to your own to your own work. You know what? <laughs> Thinking about it. No, no, oh. I actually, I mean, there might be something that stands out, but I find that so far um, authors, whether it's short stories or novels or poets, seem to be pretty attuned to what they're doing, at least in, in, in my opinion. And I think that much like this podcast, having a full like half hour or so to talk about stuff. You can really get into it. Maybe, maybe if I was doing the morning show seven minute thing, I'd be like, what? right. But because <laughs> you really get into the weeds a little bit, I've, I've found that pretty much everyone is, is pretty attuned and willing to work. I've had one in interview the entire uh, 300 some odd episodes where the person was really tough to interview. And I think they were just painfully, painfully shy. They just didn't want to give you the one, one or two word answers and monosyllables yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And I, I yeah. pulled some stuff out of them. I can't remember the author's name right now. And I wouldn't say it anyway, because the book was, was quite good, but um, everyone else, even if they're soft spoken is pretty happy to talk about process, to talk about the book, to talk about what they've done. 
And I get that. Like it, it is fun. It's fun yeah. being here right now. Have you had to do the thing where you've got like the five, you know, the 30 seconds or the 90 second hit where you've got to like, tell me about your book and where did it come from? What? Oh, yeah. yeah you know, where yeah, did it's come weird, from? Man. It's yeah. Tough. Well, like being on CH, right? Like Annette had me on when Captain came out and that was great. Uh, for those who don't know, CHCH TV in Hamilton, Annette Ham, uh, who I work with on uh, Grit Lit. Uh, she's the host of the morning show. And the nature of the show is you've got whatever it is, three minutes. I might be understating that. It certainly doesn't seem like longer than three minutes. And that is hard. I'm really, really terrible at like elevator pitch style things. And like, even when people ask me, what's your book about? I go, "Uh, so it's, uh," and sometimes my partner, Teresa, will will pipe up and say, it's this. I'll just be like, yeah, what she said is exactly right. It's about a river that gets diverted. What is exactly. that? It's right there in the title. Well, just to wrap this up, I want to give you 15 seconds to uh, to pitch your, your most recent novel. Uh, what's the story in a nutshell? Why should we read River it? Diverted is the story that I've based on my experience working in a very westernized hostess bar in Japan. And it is about a screenwriter named River Black who lives in Japan in her 20s and has some very emotional things go on with a boyfriend and a good friend. And 20 years later, these things come to the fore by possibly supernatural means. And she has to go back to Japan to uh, basically pay her respects to her former boss. But while she's there, figure out what the heck is going on with the supernatural, possibly supernatural thing. And that leads her also to confront these things that happened to her in the past 20 years ago that was more like 45 seconds you know? yeah I kind of i'll have to was. cut you off i'll have to cut you off about a third of the way into that but knock it no, knock that it was great see fine. you can do it you have the you have the chops <laughs> you absolutely have the chops. it's an elevator pitch for going to, to the 40th floor yeah <laughs> <laughs> if the elevator stalls <laughs> for a little <laughs> bit yeah what happened next is produced and edited by me the music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky, who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.